Guys, welcome. Thank you for joining us today on the show. Thanks for popping in. Yeah. I've been very keen to talk to you guys about all things crypto art and uh, and NFTs and it's the big talk of the town. How did you guys get into the field, both in the sort of digital field? Denise, how did you start? Well, I got into, I guess, started to become more interested in blockchain more generally speaking. Um, when I was still living in Sydney, I was doing... Uh, a postdoc at a lab in mm. at UNSW that was focused on collaborations between computer science and and visual arts right. uh, or contemporary arts. And so through that, um, I started to do a bit of reading uh, around the topic of blockchain, and it seemed in one sense something incredibly banal. I was like, how can this possibly be that interesting? But a lot of people were getting excited, um, so I kept on digging and um, started to get to know some of the community in that space, working in that space in Sydney, and started to yeah get to know some of the interesting experiments that were happening internationally in this field, and, and wondered whether that might be more relevant uh, to the kind of work that artists are making in Australia as well. So. That was where it started, I suppose, back in 2018. Um, and here we are now in amongst much hype after the Christie sale. Yeah, 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 the Christie sale. <laughs> yeah, the Christie sale, all these uh, music artists are now getting onto it. Um, what do you think of that hype? Is that uh, kind of the direction it's going? Well, it's interesting because there's been lots of hype in the crypto space Um since, you know, its inception, like, you know, since 2008, Satoshi White Paper, um, there's been a lot of excitement about this idea of being able to create create another form of money, um, to create alternative economies. And so, you know, hype and excitement is can be a really good thing. It gets people experimenting. It gets people exploring. It gets people asking questions. But I think this latest wave of hype is more about it kind of mainstreaming almost mm. that there've been people since very early stages of the technology um you know since you know well, things kicked off in 2008 so you know 2014 rob myers he was experimenting in this field already um and likewise programs coming out of further field in london that now there's a sort of um i guess arguably a, a shift in tone because for a long time you know Blockchain, cryptocurrency, all things in that space were really associated with, you know, hackers, uh, cyberpunks, people in that space. Now we have an auction house like Christie's, you know, jumping onto that, that it's, I don't know, it's maybe a little bit like mum joining Facebook as well. It's kind of like, <laughs> it shows that the tech has got to maybe. that, yeah. yeah, well, it's got to that stage, right? And yeah, and Jess, how about you? You've been on the other side of the coin to Denise doing the producing some digital art for a long time. Yeah, so um, I'm a digital artist. I work mostly with augmented reality now. Um, I've been working with augmented reality since about 2016 and I took part, I got into um, the sort of crypto space when I was invited to take part in the Blockumenta Blockathon that Denise organised <laughs> in Sydney, which I think was 2019. Yeah, I think yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I met a lot of people there and it was a really interesting opportunity to sort of expand the circle that I usually work in, meeting a lot of developers and hackers and people from other sorts of spaces coming together um, and it sort of all kicked off from there. Yeah, awesome. And are, are you as excited as everyone else about NFTs being in that 
I in am, that world? I am. Um, I think, you know, there is a lot of excitement and hype surrounding that space. But the sort of conversations that I've also been part of recently have talked a lot about the envi- environmental impacts mm. and a lot of concern about that aspect of NFTs. Mm. So that's why I haven't yet... Um, dived in and created my own NFT just yet because mm-hmm. I'm still assessing all the options and making sure that the choice that I make is the right one for me. Um, I think uh, Denise might know better as well that there's a lot of different platforms at the moment and some consume a lot more power than others. So Yeah, right. But before we get to, too much further, I've got to ask the question i'm sure you've been asked many times what is an nft what is blockchain do do you have a go-to analogy to explain it or that you always uh resort to or how do you explain it well i guess you know there are a number of analogies that you could use but because it is a very sort of technical field i'm sort of hesitant to to try and oversimplify it too much but i suppose um in a basic sense, blockchain, which is the underpinning technology for cryptocurrencies, and then NFTs, which aren't cryptocurrencies. They kind of they stand for non-fungible tokens. So they're almost like the kind of cousin to a cryptocurrency. They use the same kind of technology, but they use it for non-fungible. So that means non-mutually interchangeable um, items, so unique items. So artworks are a great example of what you might say is a unique item. Um, and so blockchain is the underpinning sort of architecture or infrastructure for storing information. And if you think about the way in which data information is stored on a lot of the services we use, so let's say big cloud services like, uh, you know, Google Drive, that many of us use, um, those servers are administered by a single company. And when we have access to those documents, we request permission to that and, and we gain access to it. But there's a centralized control of that information. The idea with blockchain and where it becomes more robust for things like, uh, you know, robust against things like hacking or uh, arguably the kind of power and control around the information is uh, more distributed is because the information isn't just stored on one particular server. It's stored in blocks along a chain of many, many computers, so across a major network. So that means, you know, what's recorded on that need, you know, it's spread across an entire infrastructure. And so it is very, very, very difficult to change, um, which is where you get that idea of the records being immutable, what they say, you can't change them. And because they can't be changed, then people, you know, there's a sense that they are more trustworthy, that we can, we know that someone isn't going in the back end because it's convenient to them and just, you know, changing, changing the information. Oh, actually, there's more money. Yes. You know, something like that. So, um, that's probably, I guess, without going into too much detail. That's no, uh, yeah, well, and then and then NFTs fit into that. Oh, NFTs fit into that. Um, it's the way that you purchase and buy them, mm. and but the actual artwork isn't based on the blockchain. Is that right? Yeah. So the whole thing with uh, storing information on a blockchain is that it's, as I'm um, just was saying already, you know, very energy intensive. Um, and there's a cost to it. There's a whole thing called gas fees, which you may or may not, you know, so, so what people are talking about in the NFT space is being able to basically have an immutable record of the work and its ownership. And what is kind of, I guess, nifty 
as they say about um, NFTs, is that they're programmable. So if you are an artist and you create an NFT for your work, it functions a little bit like a kind of, you know, uh, um, permanent record of selling your work. But what you can also do is embed things like program resale royalties to return to you every time that particular work is sold. So that's where it's sort of, in a lot of ways, it, it's not necessarily developing functions that are entirely um, new, but it is automating and digitizing those things. So we have for a long time through commercial galleries found, you know, used things like uh, limited editions to be able to create a sense of scarcity to the digital object. And it would be the gallery's responsibility to make sure that only this many versions of this video work were sold. Um, and then, you know, there were, you know, broadly speaking, lots of conversations about how, you know, copyright agencies can manage uh, resale royalties, all those different things for use of images of work. And the idea is that with something like a blockchain or NFT system, you could sort of integrate many of those functions into a into a platform or a programmable system and make it, you know, effectively sort of cut out a lot of intermediaries who would normally be involved in those processes. Mm. And I guess as an artist in the digital space, it's it's long been, well, I don't know, maybe it's been a problem about it's so easy to distribute any piece of art around that people tend to not value it they tend to think oh it's just a free you know thing on my phone is it do you think that's one of the big game changers here for artists yeah Yeah. I think that um you know for a long time for digital artists at least if you were selling jpegs or something like that people would not value it as much and sort of think of it as a wallpaper on your phone or desktop background or something like that um and I think that this is a really interesting space because it's actually giving value to, um, you know, and an easy way to purchase those sorts of digital works. Um, like for my work in particular, making augmented reality, part of the work is that I want it to be quite accessible for people. So I create augmented reality on phones and those sorts of devices. Um, You can sell augmented reality if you sell people a headset with something built in. But um, I think for me personally, it's the first time that there may be a way that I can actually sell this kind of work. And I guess what you were sort of saying before about intermediaries is quite interesting because what I've been thinking and my question for Denise Mm. is... um, (laughs) Because you're a curator and you are an intermediary in in some sense, how do you feel like um, NFTs are going to change the way a curator works Mm. or what sort of influence they have on developing collections of digital work? Yeah, it's a good question actually. Um, And I think it's interesting because in terms of intermediaries, there's always interactions between many intermediaries. And I think sometimes... In the blockchain space, one of the things that we think is that when we you get rid of a human intermediary, there is nothing, there is no intermediary. But in actual fact, I guess, like as you were mentioning before, the different platforms that you might choose to use, um, you know, behind them are all people who are designing a product who are who you are then sort of purchasing from. And so I guess one thing that we always think about is that when we're moving towards a technological intermediary, um, all those kinds, you know, those services that that actually implies a whole lot of other mm. people and humans usually who have a stake in that. And um, and a lot of the time what's challenging is that, you know, 
for to have a level of digital literacy where you're able to interrogate all the dimensions of those technological intermediaries is really mm. challenging. I mean, I don't know many people who can go into the back end of a system like Makerspace or OpenSea and feel like they know with yeah. total throw they have total control. So I think um, what's interesting is that if it was to actually get to a stage where there was such wholesale, um, you know, digital literacy and competence and, and confidence mm. that there was no need for any intermediaries because everyone could advocate for themselves and everyone just, then to some degree I'd be like, well, that's great if I'm not needed and the work, and the work still happens and people can do great things. Um, but I think I guess we're quite a long way from that because I think the technology is moving a lot faster than communities are able to keep up with it. Mm. And so, so in a lot of cases, I see my role as sort of being someone who can come in, you know, potentially alongside these intermediaries and say, look, these are some interesting platforms. These are the ways that they work. These are the advantages and disadvantages. These are the things you might want to be aware of, the environmental aspects, mm. the other kinds of socio-political implications. Um, and then we could all make those decisions together. But yeah, that, that question of whether we're able to get to a point where there are no intermediaries, um, that would be a, you know, a totally fully automated, maybe Skynet kind yeah. of thing. Well, I, I just feel like it's so interesting because I feel like uh, as a digital artist, like all of a sudden a lot of work that I've seen online for some time has sort of become mainstream and I feel like almost like the aesthetic of contemporary art is changing in terms of what's dominant mm -hmm. because of how nfts have come about and um yeah i just think yeah. it's really fascinating yeah it is because i guess and i think one of the big things that comes out i think from uh people who are particularly you know coming from that crypto sphere is that um they would argue that nfts um are able to sort of resist or push against some of the gatekeeping that has been a part of the sort of contemporary culture. And it's difficult because obviously one person's gatekeeper, gatekeeper is another person's, you know, connoisseur and expert who's, who's invested a lot of time. And, and I guess one of the things that came out of, again, out of the Blockumenta um, conversation that we had, that big open forum we had was about that question of um, imagining an entirely democratised culture um, and how things like, yeah, like, you know, taste or value, how we assign value to things, um, whether the fact that currently we often in, let's say, if it's in a gallery context, um, we'll recognise people's expertise, their investment, the knowledge that they've accumulated in an area and, and sort of turn to that to be able to guide some decisions. Um, whereas I guess, as you say, when you go onto a platform like OpenSea or the NFT space, you get a sense of it being like really anything goes. Mm -hmm. And, so, you know, for some that is maybe, you know, that can be a positive thing, but it can also be potentially, um, you know, a challenging thing or, or something that means that you're sifting through a lot of work without getting, um, you know, the guidance that a curator or an expert might be able to lend to say, well, you know, I recognise in this work something that's very distinctive and original mm. and it's connected to this history and, you know. Yeah. And speaking of that sort of democratised world we might be heading towards, do you think that's going to be good? Uh, we're hearing a lot about... Um, all these million dollar sales and it's often known that, that artists at the top 
can earn a lot of money, but the ones down below struggle to make a living. Do you think NFTs will be a way for that to kind of spread out the the way to earn money and make a living out of this sort of stuff? I think at this point it's still really hard to say. I think that, you know, artists still will need to develop and cultivate a following um, and fans to sort of have sales and make money in that way. Um, I think really it it has like unfortunately in some ways sort of um, replicated some of the um, bad parts of the traditional art world in that you do have some people who are making a lot of money and then other people's people who are not, um, that may change in the future. I think it depends on how the actual platforms develop and how we change how we sell things. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I guess, yeah, with, you know, Beeple, who was at, you know, the mm. big Christie's sale, yeah. you know, he has a very, very significant social media following yeah. as it is. And I think he's done, you know, he's been, he's made work for a number of sort of pop stars as well, so like Rihanna and stuff like that. So he's had a kind of celebrity cachet and, yeah. and, and had cultivated that kind of um, that image or that, that, that brand for himself yeah. as well. So it's different. I think most people from, you know, sort of, uh, you know, an art historical or, con- you know, contemporary history background would look at people's work and say, well, this has definitely got not much to do with the art world that I know. But then people coming more from a kind of, um, uh, you know, creative production sort of background would see that, oh, this is kind of similar to the kinds of aesthetic that we see coming out of other forms mm. of cultural practice. And it's and I think that's one of the, you know, interesting things there is that it's for a long time we've thought of those big sales as being part of just an, an art world thing. Mm. Um, but now it's all forms of digital culture, you know, the first tweet that was ever you know, made is now an NFT. And a and, lot of sports yeah. videos as well. Yeah. People are selling those. Yeah, yeah so the it's trading really, cards and yeah. it's, it's getting everything. So it's broadening, yeah. broadening that that sense of valuable collectives, yeah. um, valuable culture. Yeah, exactly. It's sort of it's sort of um, taken some of the concepts that we would normally associate just with, you know, primary and secondary art market stuff, and is like spreading it. Well, yeah, and and on the sort of following, Jess, your um, you've done a lot of work where it is kind of directly on those social media platforms with the face filters and stuff. How did you get involved with those? Uh, well, I, like I said, I started creating augmented reality in about um, 2016. Um, at first I was creating um, sort of apps that were for iPhone um, where people could try out different augmented reality experiences, draw in a 3D space, that sort of thing. Um, and then I was actually invited um, to take part in the um, Instagram's um, beta program to be developing these sorts of um, filters. So I was w- one of the people, um, like one of 300 people who had early access. Um, so I got to try out the software before a lot of other people did. Um, and I just loved how accessible it made the work. Um, so I've been working almost primarily in that medium since then, yeah. And the sort of the nature of those filters is that you create them and then the the user is also sort of part of the art, a part of creating the art in a way. How's that been to see people kind of 
at taking what you've done and take, putting their own spin on things and using it in different ways? Um, it's been amazing, actually. I think it's it's a really unique art form in that it requires a person not to just look at it and think about it, but to actually put themselves in the picture frame and actually be part of the artwork in a way. Um, I love looking at how people are um, developing their own sense of selves on the internet and putting different senses of self out there. Um, and I'm interested in really creating creative tools that allow people to do that. Um, and like I said, it's really important to me that uh, a lot of the work is available for free. So um, currently the way I work as an artist is that I put a lot of things out there for free and then sometimes I'll collaborate with brands or organisations or institutions and create something that they've commissioned um, which will go on their Instagram account and that they can share with um, their audience. Um, <clears throat> so for me, yeah, NFTs allow me to maybe explore a different way of working. Yeah. And and uh, have you have you gone further down that route yet? Are you looking at putting out anything? Yeah. Um, so I think the platform that I'm leaning towards, and I'm really I really do apologise if I'm pronouncing this incorrectly, but hick et nunc. Oh, do you know how to say that? <laughs> I don't know either. H I C and then E T and then N U C. Right. Yeah. Um, they seem to be the most environmentally friendly um, platform for NFTs, but still, you know, it's not negated. So, yeah, I'm still mm. still looking into it. Um, also potentially looking at maybe starting some sort of um, platform where you could actually release only face filters and sell those sorts of things online. Mm. Um, and I've been talking with a few people about that, so... I was in the works. Well, I was I was thinking whether actually Canberra, in some ways, is a it's a good place to start something like this. Just, I mean, I guess the difficulty with any system being distributed is that um, obviously it means that there's less control over where the sources of energy are coming from in terms mm. of the the ecological aspects. But whether um, you know Canberra is an interesting place because of the kind of commitment towards renewable energy. Um, whether you know starting starting some kinds of platforms here and building up with a small a small network of participants here would be like an interesting way to sort of also make the most or sort of illustrate that there can be a kind of working towards a greener form of um, experimenting in these technologies yeah absolutely because yeah that might explain the um the, the, what's the reason for this uh large amount of energy spent with nfts the, the it's kind of running the blockchain basically is that right uh yeah it's because every transaction that takes place has to be verified um and i think that the more transactions that are made the more transactions that have to be verified again and i think that maybe when these sorts of blockchains were started. They weren't used by a huge number of people, so maybe that wasn't a consideration. But as more and more people are using them and they become more popular, it's more of a problem. Mm. There are other kinds of, yeah, decentralised ledger technologies, though, that I guess are, are coming out of it as well. Like the biggest 
most energy intensive blockchain is is Bitcoin, like the original, the original, um, and and so it means that it's very difficult for a lot of people to work with it because it's into, it's slow as well, right? So Ethereum is the blockchain that probably you know most um, artists work with, and and certainly a lot of the NFTs are um, are built on the Ethereum blockchain. But there are other kinds of things like Holochain, which are sort of like meant to be sort of localized, that's intensive versions and, and sort of more localized community um, approaches to having a similar principle to blockchain, but allowing it to not be quite as gargantuan, something like Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because it, it, it seems like such a promising thing, but you don't want to be having all these servers around the world kind of just burning with what people will perceive as a, a waste of time sort of product, I guess. Um, and what's – you both do a fair bit of work with at the universities here in Canberra. What's the the mood amongst students with this stuff and in uh, where you're working? Well, interestingly, um, I think – you know, a lot of people talk about these technologies being as being particularly appealing to a younger audience. Mm. And certainly when it comes to something like cryptocurrency, you know, I think in one of the earlier kind of boom moments, there were a lot of younger traders. I mean, you have to be over 18 to be able to, um, uh, to be able to trade in uh, cryptocurrency, to be able to use something like BTC markets and, and get some. But I guess the, yeah, the interesting thing is um, still there are substantial barriers even for younger people to be able to participate in these things, mainly technological but also financial. So I think there's excitement but still a lot of questions. A lot of students who um, also would wonder, you know, is this just hype? Um, also that they might sometimes uh, with any particular technology certain subcultures can form. Um, you've probably heard the term and it just, you know, you know, crypto bro, that kind of thing that that can put off a lot of people. Um, and it can be a kind of self-fulfilling thing as well, because there are a bunch of people with that particular subculture there and it, and it you know, puts people, other people, puts other people off from joining. So I think that there's probably curiosity, but what I think is always good is um, curiosity and experimentation is, is fantastic, as long as it's always peered with a kind of critical engagement. And I'm thinking about, as you said, Jess, you know, if this is if the aim is democratization, are we ensuring that it's accessible, or what kind of barriers might we unknowingly sort of sort of erect by going down this particular path? I think as well, um, I've noticed that some apps, and I can't remember exactly which ones, but some apps are sort of um, allowing you to invest in cryptocurrency, um, like as a I don't know if it was Robin Hood, but, you know, where you sort of do a roundup and oh. you put very small amounts of money into oh, yeah. cryptocurrencies. I don't know if those sorts of things are available for young people mm. or if there's ways around that. Yeah. Uh, there's ways around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's usually ways around. Just putting a different data burden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know, I know. to do it most of the time. Exactly. The, the, the official line versus what actually exactly. happens. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the interesting thing as well, though, about, you know, crypto is that because it enables a really strong protection of anonymity, there's a lot that we don't know about people mm. in this sphere, you know. You That's know what they might yeah. choose to present to us, but the whole KYC, you know, your customer aspect of crypt, um, cryptocurrency is what a lot of you know, governments and, and other group organisations have 
been concerned about um, because, you know, there's lots of marvellous aspects about protecting privacy, but then also it means that, you know, we could be, oh, my God, actually hanging out with a bunch of 17-year-olds this whole time when we thought that they were, you know, mm. 45. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Jess, your kind of field is an interesting one because it's combining the arts and sort of the science and tech side of things. How has that been navigating both sides? I know you're also studying ANU in a kind of not common field. How's that been? Uh, it's it's good. Um, yeah, so I'm doing a PhD in neuroscience. Um, look, I think a lot of the people that I talk to about this sort of thing maybe do come from a more tech-based side, but um, I'm not sure if that makes them more likely to, I guess, jump in than anyone else. Um Maybe it's just the sort of people I'm <laughs> friends with. Um, it it really just depends. I think I think it's going to be very much an age thing. I think the sort of people that I hang around with in you know that department are maybe older. Um, there's not a lot of young people students there. It's all postgrads. So mm. um, I don't think it's a good reflection of what is going on. Yeah. Yeah. And did did this have a distinction between when you're doing the art side of things and when you're doing the tech side of things or is it kind of all mixed melded in together um for a long time there was a distinction and now there's not really it's all just sort of one thing and I'll be working on different projects at different times of the day and it's all the same sort of um creative and scientific sort of input there Mm. And we can touch on to the neuroscience at the ANU's in trouble. Oh, Have yes. Have you got any updates for us? Please save neuroscience. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I don't have any updates at this stage. Um, at the moment, it's just a proposal of what they're planning to do. Okay. Um, the submissions period has closed. Um, so I think the university now is going to be reviewing all the submissions and then making a decision. Yeah. And, and what's, what's your work there about? Um, So I study visual perception um, in humans. So we look at um, how people can perceive their environment and different things in their environment, different surfaces and textures. And we look at that in both um, healthy populations and people with different sorts of neurodegenerative diseases. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, thank you so much for coming in. I know a lot of people are going to be interested in this. So it's it's great mm. to hear from uh, some some people in town doing this sort of stuff. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye.